Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Morning. Morning, those of you that are watching online. It's good to have you with us as well. Uh, My name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. And before we dive into part 350 of Nehemiah, we've been in it for a little while, uh, I wanted to tell you about a couple things coming up. Uh, You know this, that Easter is a couple, two or three weeks away now. And uh, here, uh, not just here, but really at every church, man, Easter is a pretty big deal. And so we have some things going on Easter weekend, and I want to make sure that you know about it and that you know the exact times. And I want to encourage you to invite some friends to, to come on Easter. And so Easter weekend is going to start with uh, a Good Friday service. We're going to have communion and, and just have a special service. I want to encourage you to come out on Friday night. And then on Easter weekend, uh, that Sunday, we're going to have a couple services uh, because that day will, man, we'll probably have the largest services that we've ever had in the, in the history of our church. Uh, we're we're going to offer two services, uh, and you can, you know, choose the one that fits your schedule best. But here's what I'd like to encourage you. If you call City Walk Home, I want to encourage you to not come alone. Uh, Easter's one of those times in the year uh, that, man, people are, man, they're, they're willing to say yes to an invite. And so I want to encourage you on your way out today to pick up some Easter invite cards. And then also we have, I think about 14 left, uh, some yard signs. And so, man, we don't want to throw any of those away. So if you have a business or obviously you have a yard, man, grab one of those yard signs, put it in there. And it's, it's interesting how God can use a yard sign to get, you know, to, to tell somebody about church and, and have them come. And so let's get the word out. And it's going to be a really special weekend, uh, that whole weekend. And, and even next, in the next few weekends, we've got some things even leading up that you'll hear about later today. So uh, let's just get the word out and uh, watch what God does on Easter weekend here at City Walk Church. And so uh, yesterday, my wife and I, uh, we were chatting a little bit about hiking. And uh, here in Northern California, I grew up in Central Florida. So for us, man, adventure is go to the beach. And that was an option that you had all the time, a lot of beautiful beaches to go to. And so, man, we, we did that. But when we moved to Northern California about four and a half years ago, man, we see that, man, there's a lot of adventuring to do, whether it is, man, hiking, whether it is, you know, riding mountain bikes through different parts or, or just a lot of different things, a lot of mountains. And in Florida, we, we call, I mean, like a hill a mountain. That's what it was to us. But you guys, man, out here, there's a lot, a lot of real mountains. Uh, and so, man, there's a lot of things. And so we did. We were talking last night about how this spring and this summer, we want to get out more and, and we want to be a part of that. And we want to kind of go see different things and get our daughter out a little bit more from behind a screen and more outside, you know, doing hikes and stuff like that. And so we're, we're going to do that. And when I'm not super, I mean, I have shoes that, that make me look cool when I hike, but I'm not a super, like, haven't done a lot of hiking. I have even a cool backpack with a little water thing on it, so I I look good, you know, kind of cool, but I've not hiked a lot. The one time that I did a a hike that was legit was a few years ago in Yosemite. I think it was called Clouds Rest. Uh, It was about an eight or nine hour hike that I did with a bunch of church planners. And uh, we got up, and if you've ever done that hike or you've done a a hike that took you all day and took you really high... uh, when we got to the very top, we had a few guys in our group that were afraid of heights. And I'm not like a huge fan of heights, but, but we got to the very top of Cloud's Rest and it got kind of narrow and you look over and it's like, man, if I was to actually fall over that, I would be falling for a while and it would not end well for me. And, but we got up there and there was a few guys, they literally 
you know, they were literally like sitting back like, I just need to pray a little bit before I take 10 more steps to get a little farther on. But we all finally got to the top. And again, it was, it was a little bit, there were some things like, yeah, I don't, man, I'm going to stand back for the picture a little farther from the edge uh, because it was a little bit nerve wracking, but, but hiking and, and even a hike that goes up really high, it's like, I can do that. And, and I'm up for a lot of those types of adventures. But there's one adventure that our small group was talking about this last week that I think you're ridiculous if you do. Our, our young adult small group last Sunday night was, had brought up the subject of skydiving. And for me, I think you have to probably smoke something very strong to want to go up in a plane uh, several thousand feet above the, the, like the ground and voluntarily jump out. Like to me, there, there's no world, there's no scenario that that makes sense to me. There's no scenario that that sounds fun at all. And, and I could probably, like you could, and I know some of you are like, come on, you're a wimp. I've, and some of you have done it before. Uh, but, but for me, I could probably, you know, I could put the, the gear on. I'd be nervous even to do that. Uh, and I could get in the plane. I'd be extremely nervous to do that. Uh, you, you could take off in the plane, and I would continually get more nervous, but I could do all that. I could talk the, the, the game. I could look the game, but, but the thing that just doesn't make sense to me, and I don't know if I could make myself do it, is getting to the door of the plane and taking a step out. I don't think I could do that. This, I could talk about it. I could look the part, but taking the step to like fall out of a plane and hope my parachute works, that taking the step part, that would be really hard for me. And maybe for you, it's like, oh, it's not as hard as you think. For me, it would be really hard to actually take that step. And honestly, forget skydiving. Isn't that the part that makes it tough in a lot of challenging areas of life? Like, like there's a lot of areas of life that, man, that, that we can talk about it, we can think about it, we can know where we're supposed to go, we can know how we're supposed to get there, we can know what needs to change, but actually taking a step in a direction that's hard or unknown or out of our comfort zone, that's when it gets difficult. Again, man, there's a lot of armchair quarterbacks in the world that, man, can tell you all the things you need to do differently. They can point things out to you. You can know all those things. You can sit and think about them. You can wear the uniform. You can talk the game. But actually taking the step out of your comfort zone to do something different, to make a change, to go in a different direction, that's where it gets tough is actually taking the step, which is exactly where we find Nehemiah and the people of Israel. We find Nehemiah and the people of Israel in this study that that we've been doing now for about 10 weeks. We find them in that place where they're at the edge of the plane door. They have the uniform on. They've been given the instruction They've checked the parachute, and now it's time where they actually have to jump out and do something different. And that's where we find them. You know the story. Nehemiah comes to Jerusalem. He came to Jerusalem for this purpose of helping rebuild the wall. He helped the people rebuild the wall in 52 days. And after the wall was rebuilt and they had accomplished this huge task together... They take about a month and they use it to almost spiritually reset. And we talked about that over the last few weeks. If you haven't had a chance to be here, you can find it on our YouTube or our podcast. But we've talked about that process of how after they finished the wall, they took about a month and they spiritually reset. They had the scriptures read to them, and and several times for several hours, they they listened and they sought to understand the scriptures. And then as they read the scriptures and they they began to hear from God, they came face to face with the greatness of God, the faithfulness of God over their history. 
But they also, as we saw last week, they came face to face with their nation's unfaithfulness. As they looked into God's word and they, they, they looked in it with this mindset to understand it, not just to read it, they, they began to realize how good and faithful God had been, but it also brought to their attention that, man, their nation and their ancestors hadn't been as faithful. They hadn't obeyed God. And, and in this moment, instead of downplaying their sin and, and, and pointing to somebody else or trying to manage their sin, they acknowledged it. Instead of downplaying it, they acknowledged, and the word that we talked about last week is they confessed it. That word confess, it simply means this. It means to say the same thing about sin that God does. And that's what they did. They spent time in God's word. They sought to understand God's word. They, they realized where there were some things in their life and in the history of their nation that did not line up with what God said. And so they acknowledged it, they confessed it, and that's where we find them. That's where we find them. And, and here's, here's the thing. Confessing sin is important. That's a big part of the process. But if things are going to change, here's a shocking statement... They have to change. Confession is good and acknowledging sin is good. But if things are going to change, they have to change. Like, like we could have a, a little boy in the nursery that, man, he just enjoys picking up toys and knocking out other boys and girls in the nursery. And we would obviously talk to him and say, buddy, that's not a good thing to do. And maybe revival would break out in our nursery and he would realize that, you know what? What I'm doing is against God. What I'm doing is not right. I am going to acknowledge my sin. Taking this toy and slapping girls and boys is not what God wants me to do with my energy. I am wrong. And man, we would have revival in our nursery. But here's the thing. Amidst that revival, that little boy also has to make a decision I'm going to stop hitting people with this toy. It's great to acknowledge it, and yeah, this isn't the right way to do it, but, but you know what? In, in order for there to be change, there has to be change. And, and he would have to decide, you know what? God has another way that he wants me to use my energy, so I'm going to stop hitting people with this toy. Confess, but also take a step. And that's where we find the people of Israel. They had looked in God's word. They understood God's word. They had been convicted about their sin. They confessed it. And now they were going to take very specific steps to change. And here's what Nehemiah says as, as he walks through some of the very specific ways that they were going to change. It says this in Nehemiah chapter 9, very last verse of chapter 9, it says this. In view of all this, in view of what? In view of us spending a month reading God's word, in view of all the faithfulness that we've seen God show our nation, in view of how gracious he's been in our lives and in our history, in view of all this, it says this, we are making a binding agreement in writing on a sealed document containing the names of our leaders, Levites, and priest, in view of all that God's done, in view of what God has shown us, we are going to make a covenant. We're going to make an agreement. We're going to make a commitment to God. We're not, we're not even just going to talk about it. We're actually going to write it down as a nation, the commitments, the next steps we're going to take. And not only are we going to write it down, but we're going to have 80 leaders in our community endorse this commitment in writing. And you won't be surprised at the very first leader that signed that document. You see it in Nehemiah chapter 10, the very first phrase of the chapter, it says this. Those whose seals were on the document were the governor Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. Very first name that went on the document. Very first name that went on the commitment that the nation was making was Nehemiah. And for the next 27 verses, 
the writer of this portion of Scripture literally lists the names of everyone that signed that covenant. And, and not only did the leaders agree to it, it wasn't like this was a covenant where the leaders were like, hey, here's what we're going to do if you don't like it. Oh, well, just jump in. The, the leaders weren't the only ones that were saying, hey, we've got to take some next steps. Hey, we don't want our future generations to feel what we felt because of the sins of the past. We're going to make a change. The leaders endorse this commitment. But not only that, look what the next passage says. It says, the rest of the people, the priest, Levites, gatekeepers, singers, and temple servants, along with their wives, sons, and daughters. And I love this phrase, everyone who is able to understand. So we're talking like little kids, like Sally and Jimmy and Sally's mom and Sally's dad, everybody that could understand and who has separated themselves from the surrounding peoples to obey the law of God. It says this, verse 29, those people, they join with their noble brothers and sisters and commit themselves with a sworn oath to follow the law of God given through God's servant Moses and to obey carefully all the commands, ordinances, and statutes of the Lord our Lord. So they've come to this spot where God is doing something in their nation. They've realized where they have been wrong, where they have failed, where they have sinned. And as a nation, they decide to not just make this generic commitment to God, but they make a very specific commitment to God. They make very, and we're going to see in this next few verses, some very specific commitments where they have disobeyed God over the last centuries. And the spiritual leaders, the families, the whole nation, they endorse and commit and they make an oath in writing to God on what they're going to do moving forward. And it's in the next few verses that they get very specific about their commitment to God in a few areas. The first area is in relationships, specifically marriage. It says this, verse 30, very specific commitment. It says this, we will not give our daughters in marriage to the surrounding peoples and will not take their daughters as wives for our sons. So in this society, parents had a really, really big influence on marriage. In, in, this, in our society today, Parents have some influence in most cases, but in this society, they had such influence to the point where they would choose who you were going to marry. Like they, these were almost, they were kind of like arranged marriages. And so what the, the people were committing to is they were committing to not give their children in marriage to people from other countries. And you hear that kind of in our day and age, and you're like, that kind of sounds harsh, like, like, were these people racist? Did they think they were better than everybody else? Like, why would they make this type of commitment? It's because several hundred years earlier in Deuteronomy 7, this is what God said to them. He said, you must not intermarry with them. You must not give your daughters to their sons and take their daughters from your sons, for your sons. Okay, God, that's, that's kind of harsh. What's, what, what's the next thing he says? He says in verse 4, why? Because they will turn your sons away from me to worship other gods. I don't want you to have your son marry someone from a different country. I don't want your daughter to marry somebody from a different country. Not because I'm against other countries, but it's because I don't want your son to begin to worship their God. I don't want your daughter to begin to worship their God. And how serious are you about this, God? Well, well look what he says. And the Lord's anger will burn against you and he will swiftly destroy you. Okay, God, we get it. A little serious about that one. Okay, we, that's pretty straightforward. And here's why. Here's why. And this is tr as true today as it was back then. The God you worship determines the life you live. The God you worship determines the life you live. Whether you want to admit it or not, whether you're watching online, all of us have a God we serve. 
We, we, all of us have an ultimate authority. You're like, no, I don't. No, no, all of us do. It, it might be the God of the Bible. It, it might be money. It might be your intellect. It, it might be something else that I didn't mention, but all of us have an ultimate authority. All of us have a God that we filter things through. All of us have a God we serve, and the God that we worship, it determines the life that we live. It just is what it is. The second thing we know about this is the God you worship determines the place you spend eternity. It's a pretty big deal. And again, you might not buy into that. You might not agree with that. But that's what the Bible says. And so if, if, if you don't agree, that's up to you if you don't agree with the Bible. But that's what the Bible says. But then another, another statement about this. The God you worship will impact your marriage more than anything else. There's no other decision. There's no other situation that will impact your marriage more than the God that you serve. It just is what it is. See, marriage is, is something that God initiated, and it's to be the closest relationship a person has other than God. And here's what God says in Genesis. He, he, he says it this way in Genesis chapter 2. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. And you read this, and yes, there's a sexual connotation to this, but that's not all it's talking about. It's talking about becoming one in every area. And here's just the truth. I mean, you try to be one with someone that serves a different God, you see how that goes. You try to be unified. You try to be of one mind, of one thought, of one purpose with someone who serves a totally different God than you. That's probably not going to go well. And there's a lot of divorces over the years that would prove that. And, and some of you would say, yes, Chris, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And so in no way is God forbidding marrying someone of a different race or culture. He, he forbid marrying someone who serves a different God. And throughout Israel's history, they had married people that worshipped other gods, and it had brought devastating consequences on their whole nation. And so as they are, as Nehemiah and these, these people are beginning to evaluate like where they're at in their, in their walk with God and where they're at with their uh, kind of in their relationship with God, one of the commitments that they are making is, hey, God, we're going to obey you in this area of our marriage relationships. We're going to obey you. We're going to do what you say. We're going to, to marry people that worship the same God as us. That's what they're, they're saying. And, and not only do they talk about this, but they move on from relationships and marriage, to now they move to another area, and it's the area of rest. And you think, What? I mean, okay, I get the marriage thing, God, that's a pretty big deal. But, but their very next, in the very next statement, after they make this big commitment to God in this area of marriage, they make commitments to God in the area of rest. You're, and you're just like, man, you're telling me God puts rest in the same conversation with marriage? You, yeah, look. It says this in Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 31. When the surrounding peoples bring merchandise... Or any kind of grain to sell on the Sabbath day, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or a holy day. Hmm. Here, here's, if, you, if you know anything about Israel's history, God had instructed Israel hundreds of years earlier. He had instructed Israel to, hey, I want you to work hard and, and you know, be faithful, work hard for six days. And then I want you to take one day, and, and he called it a Sabbath. I want you to take one day where you rest, where you reflect on your relationship with me. I want you to set aside a day where you rest. And, and keeping the Sabbath for these people, it was an act of faith. Because, man, instead of being able to work and get things done seven days, now God was saying, hey, I want you to just totally take a day off. I want you to rest. I want you to not do anything. I want you to reflect on your relationship with me. 
And not only does he talk about uh, the weekly Sabbath, but he kind of, he, he continues to move in, a, in this direction in another area of their life. He, he says this, or, or the commitment they say is this. They say, we're also God, we're, we will also leave the land uncultivated in the seventh year and we will cancel every debt. I'm like, that sounds weird. So you're going to, okay, obey God and, and and rest for one day. You're not going to do business on one day a week. You're going to rest and reflect because that's what God told you and your ancestors hundreds of years ago. But God also told them something else that they hadn't been obeying, and it was this. Hey, every seventh year, I want you to leave your fields alone. I don't want you to farm them. I want you to just, just let them go. I want you to let your fields rest. And you got to put yourself in this in, in their scenario. These are most of them are farmers, and and many of these people like their whole life is wrapped up in their land and what it produces. And God has now told them, "Hey, and they're committing to obey. I want you to take a day off a week from touching your land, not doing any work. But not only that, every seventh year, I want you to leave the land alone and let it rest. And I I don't want you to farm it. And then they had not done this. They had not been obedient to God. And so now they're making this recommitment to, yes, we will take a Sabbath. Yes, we will allow our land to rest. And in our scenario, this sounds ridiculous. I mean, it's like, you mean say no to income. So I can set aside time to rest and reflect on my relationship with God? That would mean I have to trust God, which is exactly right. Did God really need them to take a day off? Like, it was like, was God not going to be okay? And and was life in heaven going to be a wreck if they didn't take a day off? Or if they didn't, you know, leave their land alone for one year was was that like that going to mess up everything God had going in the world no but when they take a day off and they set aside that time to rest and reflect here's what they're saying God I trust you I trust you leaving my land alone on a seventh year and, and here's what it's making me do God you're my provider I trust you I'm going to do it your way I trust you And that's what God wanted. He wanted that intimacy. He wanted that trust. He wanted that we believe and will obey God. We're going to do it his way. We trust you, God. And so that's what they did. Jesus, a few hundred years later, said it this way in Matthew chapter 6. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things, all these things, and if you read Matthew 6, all the things that you have been worried about, all the things that you fret about, all the things that keep you up at night, all the things that you need, all these things, they'll be provided. But you just seek first the kingdom of God. But God... Don't you need my help a little bit, God? I mean, I can seek you first on a few days, but isn't there a couple days I just got to grind? Just seek you first the kingdom of God. Yeah, yeah, work hard, be faithful, but but you're not doing that because if you don't do it, you're, you're in trouble. You're doing that because you're being obedient to God. You're being faithful. You're being an example to the world of what Jesus said to be light and salt. You're a part of your society. You're helping your society. You're doing it for a lot of reasons, but it's not because if you don't, God's not going to come through. It's not because God needs your help. He needs, and he doesn't even need, he wants a relationship with you where you say, hey, dad, I trust you. I trust you. So you know what? I'll leave my land alone the seventh year. You know what, God? I will take that Sabbath day. I will rest. I will trust you that you'll provide. And that's what these people are doing. They're they're making a a recommitment to God. And so after they talk about relationships, specifically marriage, 
Then they, they, they talk about rest and they, they kind of make some recommitments. And these are all things that God had told them. They just hadn't been obeying. The last thing they do is they focus in on resources. And here's what they say in verse 32. It says this, we will impose the following commands on ourselves to give an eighth of an ounce of silver yearly for the service of the house of our God. So they were basically these offerings that they were kind of committing to. They were offerings that would give the priest and the Levites the resources to maintain and kind of carry out the duties of the temple. And the temple was a really big part of their society. Uh, along with the offering that they were committing to, they also committed to be involved in some other ways, some just kind of interesting ways that fit their day. It says this in verse 34, we have cast lots among the priests, Levites, and people for the donation of wood by our ancestral families at the appointed times each year. They are to bring the wood to our God's house to burn on the altar of the Lord, our God, as it is written in the law. So in their temple and in their worship, there was a fire that was never supposed to go out in the altar. Never. So you can imagine, man, never supposed to go out. That took a lot of wood to keep that thing going constantly. And so they were, as, as families and as individuals, they were saying, hey, we're going to kind of break this thing up and we're going to be part of making sure that there's always wood available. We're going to commit to, to provide this so that the altar never goes out. And then listen to how they close. That They close their covenant as they, they talk more about resources and kind of specifics. But as they close, I want you to see if there's a word that just kind of stands out to you over the next three verses. It says this, verse 35. We will bring the first fruits of our land and of every fruit tree to the Lord's house year by year. We will also bring the firstborn of our sons and our livestock as prescribed by the law, and will bring the firstborn of our herds and flocks to the house of our God, to the priests who serve in our God's house. Look at verse 37. We will bring a loaf from our first batch of dough to the priest at the storerooms of the house of our God. We will also bring the first fruits of our grain offering of every fruit tree and of the new wine and fresh oil. A tenth of our land's produce belongs to the Levites, for the Levites are to collect the one-tenth offering in all our agricultural towns." And then after the continuing to, to just continue to lay out specifics, here's how they close the whole section. We will not neglect the house of our God. See, under Nehemiah's leadership, the people had been led to place a higher priority on spiritual things and to give their first and best to God. See, to this point in the nation's history, and I've mentioned this already, the, the Jewish people, they, they had always been given clear and, and understanding and loving instructions from God. They, they had not disobeyed God because they didn't know what to do over their history. God had given them loving, gracious instructions. He had given them, given them clarity on his way and the best ways to do things. He had been incredibly clear and incredibly gracious on, on giving them this information. It wasn't for a lack of knowing. It was for a lack of obeying and trusting and so they knew all of these things before, but over the years, they had decided to marry people who worshiped other gods. They thought they were the exception. Well, she's really pretty, God, so I think you're going to give me the exception. And it had been devastating for their nation. They had already been told that they were to rest and they were to take their land and leave part of it every seventh year and let it rest. But they had decided, you know what, God? I don't think you really understand how this farming thing works. And so we're going to continue to farm our land and we're going to continue to work seven days and, and we'll figure that Sabbath thing out later. They continued to do that. And instead of giving God of their first and their best, they had, God said it this way, they had robbed God of resources that he had actually provided them over the years. And 
now as they've spent time in God's word, they realized their disobedience and they acknowledged it. And now they were at that place where they were committing to do something different in a very specific way. They were ready to take a step. I, I played, and many of you did, and we're getting ready. You know, baseball season's right around the corner as far as professional. I know Little League's already started, but, but if you've ever played baseball, and even if you didn't play baseball, you already know what I'm about to tell you. This is like a duh. So one of the best parts about playing baseball is hitting the baseball. So it's, it's obviously no fun. I mean, if you were ever the guy that, that, that got up to bat and, and they were going to try to walk you, you did not want that. You were swinging at terrible pitches because you just still wanted to hit the ball. Like hitting the ball is a really big part of the process of winning and having fun and reaching your goals. And so, man, when you hit the ball, it's great, but there's another step that you have to take. And if you ever have coached a t-ball team of three-year-olds, you know that it's not always obvious to them what the next step is, which is frustrating if you're like a coach that wants to, come on, but, but. What do you have to do after you hit the ball? Like you hit the ball, hit it far. That's great. But there's something that you need to do next. You need to run to first base. You can hit the ball as far as you want. I mean, I guess, I guess it's a home run, but they can carry around. But, but you can hit the ball and it can be a great hit. It can be super impressive. But if you're not willing to run to first base, oh, Great. Great that you hit the ball, but you're not going to reach your goals. You're not going to win the game. You have to take a step. And that's where Israel was. They had hit the ball. They, they now knew what God wanted them to do. They were in the zone, man. They, they knew that what God wanted, they acknowledged what they hadn't done right. And it was, they were in that moment where they had now hit the ball, but they had to actually run to first base. And that's what they're committing to, God. We, we know what you want from us, but we're done talking about it. We're done complaining about it. We're done ragging on our ancestors for not doing it the right way. We're in the batter's box. We've hit the ball, and now it's our turn to choose. Are we going to run to first base? And they decided to. They decided to make those commitments. And here's the thing. Whether you're watching online or you're here this morning, you and I, we've been in the exact same place. And maybe you're in that same place right now. And here's what I mean. God has stirred something in your heart at some point. Maybe for you, you're not a follower of Jesus. And, and you have felt, maybe you wouldn't even call it God's stirring. You weren't even sure what it was. But, but you're not a follower of Jesus. But you have felt this stirring in your heart to take a step and start a relationship with God. And you've just felt this nudging. You felt this nudging to take another step. And God has worked in your heart. And, and again, you might not know what to call it, but, but you've just felt this, I uh, need to do something with this. Maybe you are a follower of Jesus. And for you, it's God's, God's kind of pricked your heart and, and made clear an area of your life that you don't trust God in. And maybe you can talk a good game. Maybe you, you can look the part, but, but you have been challenged. You've been nudged. You've been pricked in your heart about an area that you just haven't trusted God fully in. Maybe it's a sin. Maybe it's that, that you're a follower of Jesus and, and you have felt this pricking in your heart. You felt this nudging from God to, to make a change in an area that you know is not pleasing to God. We've all had that. We've all had that, man, where God nudges, pricks, whatever you want to call it, in your heart. And like the Jewish nation, you have to decide, what am I going to do about it? And James, Jesus' brother, he called, when he was talking about this, he talked about the Word of God and what the Word of God does in our heart, and he compared the Word of God to a mirror. He said it this way. He said that, you know what? The word of God, it's like a mirror. When you look in the mirror, for instance, when you looked in the mirror this morning, a couple things happened. Like a couple things happen when you look in the mirror. And it's the same thing with God's word. When we look in the mirror, here's what we do. We see ourselves clearly. Maybe you got a little foggy mirror or whatever, but most mirrors, if you look in the mirror... 
you can see pretty clearly what you look like. Like you can see, maybe you did this morning. You know what? I'm going to have to do something with my hair before I go to church. It's, it's a mess. Maybe you looked in the mirror and you're like, oh, man, has that black thing been in my teeth all night? I'm going to need to take care of that so I don't get laughed at at church. We wouldn't laugh at you, but we would probably talk about you. No, not really. Uh, we would graciously give you a toothbrush. Uh, no, but, but, you know, whatever. Maybe, maybe for you, it's like, man, you, you looked in the mirror and you're like, oh, man, I did not realize that Hamburger Helper was still in my face from last night. I probably need to take care of that. I don't really want everybody to know what I had for dinner when I go to church. And so when we look in the mirror, we, we see things clearly. But, but then there's a second thing that happens when we look in a mirror. Not only do we see things clearly, but we have to decide what we're going to do about what we see. A couple options. We can walk away and pretend we didn't see it. So we can walk away. You know what? I, hair's rough to this morning, a little black thing in my tooth. You know what? I'm not going to worry about it, though. I'm just going to go to church and pretend that, that I didn't really just see what I saw. And I'm just going to, whatever. We can do that. Maybe you are doing that today. Maybe that's like, you know, I'm just super not worried today. I'm just kind of coming to church as I am. Just, and that, that's kind of my attitude. Or you can look and say, you know what? I'm going to do something about what I see. Same thing spiritually. And, and here's the beautiful thing. When we decide to do something about what we see, God actually empowers us to do that. He doesn't say, hey, oh, I showed you this, and I showed you this area of your life that doesn't line up with my word, and hey, buddy, good luck. Come back to me when you get that figured out. No, he says, hey, I've pointed it because I love you so much, and I, I, I want to show my grace to you, and so it's an evidence of my grace that I'm actually even showing you an area of your life that, that needs to change, and hey, if you'll be willing to step into that change, I'm actually going to give you the power, the ability, the grace to do it, but you have to be willing to run to first base, which leads us to two questions that we'll close with. So as you look into the mirror of God's word, just like the people of Nehemiah did, what do you see? What do you see? Are you willing to be honest? And just say, you know what? I, I see this. I see, man, a struggle with trust in this area. I see a, man, a sin that I have been holding on to that I know God wants me to give up because he loves me. Maybe as you look into God's word, you see, man, this, this relationship with Jesus that I've been debating, kind of diving into, man, it's just, I feel like I need to. I think this is what God wants. What do you see when you look into God's word, when you look into the mirror? And then the second question is this, what are you going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? All right, God, I'm, I'm, I, see, I see something. I see an area of my life. I see a, an area of my life that doesn't line up with your word. I see an area of my life where, where you've told me to trust you and I'm not trusting you. God, I, I see that. And I can either go away from God's word and pretend like that I never saw that. Or I can lean into what God is showing me and lean into his grace and his power and his voice. And do something about it. And here's, here's the thing. If you walk in front of your mirror tomorrow before you go to school or work and you see that your hair's a wreck and decide not to do anything about it, it the consequences are minimal. It's probably not that big of a deal. But when we look into God's word and he speaks to us and we decide to say no, man, the consequences are huge because there's going to come a time if we continue to say no to what God is showing us, that he will stop showing us. There's going to come a moment when it will be the last time you hear from God. And I don't know about you, but I don't want that. I don't want to say no to God so much and say, you know what, God, I know you've shown me these things, but you know what, I'm going to just do my, my own thing, and I'm going to just, hey, one day I will, and one day I will, and one day I will, and God says, okay, all right, you do your thing. And there's going to come a time 
or it's going to be the last time you hear. And I don't know about you, but I don't want the consequences of that, and I don't want future generations to feel the consequences of me saying no when God showed me something. So what do you see? And what are you going to do about it? You will not regret taking a courageous step to obey God. And here's the thing. You don't have to do it alone. You have the Holy Spirit of God, but you also have the church of God. That's why we say here at City Walk, no perfect people allowed. Like, if you have it all together, you're not going to fit in here. If you're a person that knows they need Jesus, if you're a person that knows they're not perfect and wants to walk with other people towards what God wants for you, this is the place for you because there's a lot of people that are willing to lock arms with you and walk with you. You don't have to do it alone. But you do have to be the one to make the decision to take a step. And when you take that step... God's grace, His Spirit, His church links arms with you and moves towards what Jesus has for you. And that's what Nehemiah and the Jewish people had made a decision to do. They wanted to see change, and in order to see change, they had to make specific commitments, and they didn't do it alone, they did it together. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe you're watching online, maybe you're listening to this on a podcast throughout the week, or maybe you're here this morning. And if you're here and, and you would say, hey, Chris, man, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. There, there's been a time in my life where I have. I have made a decision to admit to God that I've disobeyed him, I've sinned, and, and I believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave for me. And I, there's been that moment in my life where I have started a relationship with Jesus. Well, if that's you, whether you're watching online or you're here this morning, here's, here's my question for you. Did God speak to you today? Wherever you're at watching this, did God speak to you? Because here's the thing. Satan is not worried if God spoke to you. That's not a big deal to him. But here's the second question. What did God say? What did he say? Did God speak to you? And, and, and if he did, what did he say? And here's the thing, Satan's not even worried if you know what he said. That's no big deal to him. Here's the question that scares Satan. And here's the last question I'll give you. What are you going to do? What are you going to do about what God said? You can walk out this morning, you can turn the your feet off if you're watching online and you can just, oh, well, just pretend that I didn't hear that or pretend God didn't show me that. Or you can obey God. You can step into whatever God is showing you. And you can trust that when you step into it, whether it's confessing sin, whether it's moving into an area where you haven't trusted God, whether it's something else that he's showing you, his grace, his mercy, his love will meet you but you got to be willing to step. Maybe you're here or you're watching online and you would say, hey, Chris, I've, I've never started a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've been around church. Maybe you've even been hurt by the church in the past. You're not even sure what you believe about the whole Bible thing, but you're in a spot in your life where you do understand to believe about Jesus. You believe he died for your sin. You believe he rose from the grave. You, you know that. 
And though you have other questions that may be unanswered, you are in a spot where you are ready and willing to take that first step and become a follower of Jesus. If that's you, just in the quietness of wherever you're at, you can do that right now. Just in your heart to God, between you and God, just tell God. Just say, God, I admit to you I've disobeyed you. I admit to you I've done things my own way. Just tell him. Just between you and God. And then just tell him, God, I believe that when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, that he did that thinking of me. He did it for me. Just tell him. And then just choose. God, today, based on what Jesus did for me, I'm choosing a relationship with you. Come into my life. Transform me. And give me a home in heaven. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here or you're watching online, and today you made a decision to start a relationship with Jesus, and we would love to know about that, You can, if you're watching online, go to citywalk.cc and there's a decision card. We'd love for you to fill that out. If you're here with us this morning, you can go right in front of you. There's a card. It says decision on it. Just fill that card out while we sing this last song. And then you can drop it in the offering basket or take it to the next steps table on your way out. Maybe you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus and God has spoken clearly to you and you want someone to pray with you. As, you. as we end our service, we have Matt and Corinne right up front and they're here for one reason, to serve you through prayer. And so if you have a decision to make or you have a, some, just something on your heart that you want someone to pray for and pray with you on, while the band sings this last song, I want to invite you to come forward. You can pray on the, at the front on your own, but if you want somebody to pray with you, Matt and Corinne are here to do that. So let's stand as the band leads us in our last song.